0: PubMed, which is where you find all the, you know, research studies, um, is my homepage. And I'm I'm always on that reading studies. I'm always trying to find a way to, you know, what's that 1% performance benefit?
1: Sports science, strength and conditioning, high performance coaching. Welcome to the Decoding Excellence Show. Today's episode of the Decoding Excellence Show is brought to you by Vaud Performance, the makers of the Nordboard, the Dashboard, and the Groin Bar. Whether it's return to play, rehabilitation, or performance testing and training, Vaud Performance has the tools you need. So who's actually using VOD performance technology? I don't know, something like 14 NFL, 19 NCAA, 15 English Premier League, seven English Championship, five NBA teams, and six MLB teams. They have the tools you need to get the best out of your athletes. Check them out at VODperformance.com. Today on the Decoding Excellence Show, Katie Mark from Miami, Florida, joins me to talk everything about sports nutrition. Katie operates a business called On Your Mark Nutrition, where she trains as a competitive cyclist, works as a sports nutritionist, an R&D consultant, and a writer. Most of Katie's works center around nutrition-centered, evidence-based, and is intended for those who are sport performance or fitness Driven, Katie has a strong understanding of investigating nutritional science research and applying the science in the actual real world, which is important. Get out of the lab and actually into the field. This is a monster of an episode, and we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Her time at Miami University, her former mentors and people that helped uh, provide a career path for her, and gave her some direction in the world of nutritional science and everything as it comes to sports nutrition and the latest research and what's actually works and what doesn't. You will not want to miss this episode if you're trying to improve your health, improve your athletic performance and utilize the latest nutritional evidence-led science to impact your athlete's health and your athlete's well-being. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the one, the only, Katie Mark. Katie, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Good. How are you, Adam? Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, I am. Uh, I'm doing really well. Um, I've been excited to have you on the Decoding Excellence show because I know we've scheduled this out for uh, a couple weeks now. And uh, as we've trickled in the notes and the outlines and the thoughts of where you wanted to take this thing, um, I am just absolutely looking forward to your discussion and what you're going to share throughout the day. So it's been uh, well anticipated on my end. How are things going for you uh, um, with you?
0: Everything's great. So um, I graduated uh, from Tufts last December with uh, two master's degrees, one in in um, nutrition communication and the other in public health. Um, and then I moved back to Miami um, where I was born and raised. And so for the past few months, I've been working uh, part time in research and development, so nutritional consulting uh, with various nutritional companies. I also work as a sports nutritionist, um, doing a lot of general non-medical nutrition therapy, um, and I'm also doing a lot of writing in nutrition, and some of it's been uh, ghostwritten, like some white papers, Um, and I'm also training a lot part-time, I I guess you could call it. Um, I'm a competitive cyclist. So I'm an endurance athlete and uh, I do a lot of training, I'd say between like 10 and 15 hours a week. So that, that cuts into a little bit of my, my working schedule. Um, but that's, that's what I've been up to um, as I'm waiting to start a, a dietetic internship this upcoming summer. Um, I'll be doing, I'll be a dietetic intern for Wellness Workdays. It's a dietetic internship program um, out of Boston. And um, I'm focusing on sports nutrition and and entrepreneurship, and I'm really excited for this because I have a lot of cool uh, rotations that I'll be doing um, for the next six to seven months. Um, In fact, I'll be working uh, with the registered dietitian at University of Miami Athletics. Uh, I'll also be going out to Colorado to work with one of my favorite sports dietitians, Bob Sibohar. He's the former director of sports nutrition at the University of Florida. He's also served as a sports dietitian for the US Olympic Committee. Um, this guy is just phenomenal, and I'll talk a little bit about him later on the show. Um, and also next year, I'll be doing some work with the Miami Marlins, and um, they uh, a registered dietitian who will be working with them as well. So I've been staying pretty busy, needless to say, and um, I'll be even busier as the year goes on. Um, but I'm really excited because uh, next year, I'm hoping to then uh, take the registered dietitian nutritionist exam and and be a registered dietitian and start working in pro sports.
1: Yeah, that is uh – it, busy is an understatement <laughs> and it sounds like you have literally uh have taken on so many different things right now and and uh especially as you are planning to go through those rotations we just had a uh, a phenomenal young lady go through our university um in completion of her rotations before she takes her uh, rd so um, I got to sort of vicariously live through the challenges of multiple site locations and uh, the various stops that this, uh, this individual did. But, um, yes, yeah, so busy is uh, an understatement for you. But, hey, I, uh, I I'd, and that's certainly a, a great comprehensive sort of update to what you're up to and, and where your various stops are going to uh, deliver you here in the next couple months. But I'd love to hear a little bit, and I know certainly this is sort of a, a central theme on the Decoding Excellence show, is to really start to understand the intangibles and maybe the why statements surrounding each professional as they get into their various sort of performance pursuit. And I'd love to hear from you sort of what was maybe the idea, the genesis that that started your pathway down nutritional science and, and wanting to work within professional sports, uh, but via the vehicle of nutrition?
0: Well, it's kind of funny. I got into nutrition in college and um, it was, I don't really remember exactly how I got into nutrition. I think I just got into really healthy eating. Um, and I was also an athlete. I, I grew up as a competitive tennis player, and I played volleyball and basketball and everything. Um, and now I'm a, I've been a competitive cyclist for the, for the past few years. Um, and I got really passionate in nutrition. And I think it was also kind of a way or a, an excuse to go down the nutrition path instead of having to go to medical school, which was my original plan. Um, and just the ability to combine my passion for sports and, and always being an athlete and currently training as an athlete um, and combining that with my career has been the coolest thing for me and has been my biggest goal because um, I'm a firm believer that you know if uh, you, you make your, your hobby your career, you won't work you know, any day of your life. Um, or won't feel like work. Um, so that's that's kind of how I got into it, was just being an athlete and then all of a sudden becoming really interested in, in healthful eating. And, and, I, and I also have gotten really interested more so in the nutrition science aspect in the past, you know, one to two years when I was in Boston in graduate school um, because I started to see that at the elite level of sports, how there's so many things in nutrition that you can manipulate, um, whether it's, you know, certain foods, certain, you know, carbohydrate intake, or, you know, certain supplements that could really make a difference, um, between getting silver or gold in, in something like, like the Olympics, um, or, you know, winning a race by one second. And, you know, there's certain things out there nutritionally that can do that. And to me, that's, what's so exciting. And that's what I'm really passionate about. And I think that's why I'm just so, you know, for instance, PubMed, which is where you find all the, you know, research studies, um, is my homepage. And I'm, I'm always on that reading studies. I'm always trying to find a way to, you know, what's that 1% performance benefit. And, um, so that's, you know, from a nutrition aspect, what I really love more so than you know, a lot of times people traditionally see a sports dietitian or a regular dietitian, you know, working in the kitchen and, and you know doing recipes and everything. But I like to step away from that and go you know a different route, the more sciencey route, and you know try to get into the trenches with athletes um, and work with them and 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 try different things to get performance benefits. So that's more. Um, my passion and, and really how I got into nutrition and how I've kind of evolved with my goals um, in nutrition and sports.
1: Yeah, and I think you know one of the things, and certainly you were in in a, uh, a part of uh, geography, a part of the United States that certainly lends itself to some really uh, influential and progressive thinkers, um, and that's sort of kind of where. I first was exposed and kind of got in contact with you because I know that we share a mutual colleague um, that uh, is uh, uh, quite a spitfire himself uh, with Carl and uh, love the guy. And that's where I think just some of the conversations you two were having, I sort of maybe interjected myself and, and uh, joined the dialogue, joined the conversation with you. And then for me, just as, uh, as an aside to that, that I uh, started to see more and more of your material, and obviously followed you. And um, for the audience that are they're listening, I, I highly recommend uh, following you. And it's on your mark underscore n u t r nutrition uh, for Twitter, and then your Instagram on your mark um, which is sort of an equal combination: one part uh, science and research, one part. Uh, at least in my perspective, bike envy when I get to see uh, um, the the, uh, the the bike that you certainly ride and the paths and uh, and some amazing amazing sort of not just product reviews from you but really a, a scientific understanding. It looks like you do a lot of sort of testing and and uh, um, work with sort of putting what companies sort of claim uh, nutritionally for what they do, but uh, actually putting it to, uh, to the test, which I, I highly respect that um, there's a resource like yourself that's doing that. So, um, again, I guess from one person to another, thank you for the materials that you share. It's incredible. Um, I'd love to maybe start to, uh, to dive into some of this because I, I know we have, as I said in the intro, We have a monster of an episode that's going to talk a lot about nutrition. And this is for the Decoding Excellence show. This is the first nutrition uh, emphasis that we've had. So um, and what a better way than to discuss some of the latest research and to go down these pathways and discuss what you're going to share. So I'd love to just start to jump into it because I think you're phenomenal and I think you have the background for it. And you're on the edge as far as what, uh, what nutritional research and, and the product lines that are out there. So I'd love to kind uh, set of you, set you free, if you will, <laughs> a little bit and uh, start talking about these concepts. And, and uh, I'll ca- kind of kick it over to, to you to, to lead initially.
0: Thanks, Um, and yeah, you you hit it on the head, Adam, with regard to, you know, all this experimentation, and this really is what's led to, you know, this outline of stuff that I wanted to talk about that's, you know, innovative in sports nutrition, because this is a lot of what I do. I do a ton of research, not just for um, consulting for companies and and people, but, you know, just on my own to then, you know, test these products and experiment, because at the end of the day, I, I work for the athlete. Um, I don't work for a particular company. I always work for the athlete and I always want to find, you know, the best, uh, nutritional strategy or the best product for them. And so this really is what's led to, um, this set of, you know, themes, if you want to call it that I, I came up with. And the first one focusing on the gut microbiome, this, I can't even begin to emphasize how big this is right now in terms of research, um, and just, I, I, I see the gut microbiome as a way of training the gut. So training the gut is a, a nutritional strategy that's really come out recently, and it's been pioneered by a world-renowned sports nutritionist. Um, his name is Dr. Asker Ukendrup. Um He's also a phenomenal uh, athlete, cyclist. Um, and essentially, you know, he describes training the gut as, you know, different ways to get the GI system to um, adapt to carbohydrate intake and fluid intake um, with the goal of reducing GI complications, which of course a lot of athletes get, as well as improving performance. Um, And so kind of going along with this whole training the gut idea, I've kind of taken it and looked at it through a different lens, and that's through the gut microbiome and training the gut that way um, through good gut bacteria um, to then have good gut health, which is so important um, because like I said, the gut microbiota research on it has really picked up and we're seeing how much our gut and having good gut bacteria can really impact different parts of our health from immunity, local inflammation and, and chronic inflammation throughout the body, metabolism, mood, disease, um, metabolic disorders, and even right now, brain health. I mean that, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but that is just some really cool stuff. And, and granted, yeah, some of the research is in its infancy. Um, but from what we do know, it's quite obvious that we need to focus on maintaining our gut and many people, especially athletes don't even think about this. Um, I mean, Adam, just out of curiosity, how many of your athletes, you know, show up, you know, to practice or or game day, you know, sick, you know, or they train sick?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it was certainly in the collegiate world. It is a common uh, idea that, you know, if it's a cold, if it's sick, if there's something going on that uh, you still sort of show up for practice. Right.
0: Right. And that's the thing is, you know, it's like, how do you prevent that in athletes, well, I mean, when your gut is the home to trillions of bacteria, which are good and bad, the goal really is to have enough good gut bugs to outcompete the bad gut bugs. Um, and relating to this to illness is that they can really strengthen the immunity. Um, you know, a lot of people might not know this, but 70% of your immunity is in your gut. And it's really important that for instance, the gut barrier, which is one cell thick, so it's obviously very thin and it separates, um, your gut with your bloodstream and, um, what happens under stress, especially through exercise, um, induced stress, um, little pro- the proteins in your gut lining can come apart and things in your gut can then get into your bloodstream that shouldn't be there. Um, So this is something called increasing gut permeability, which you really don't want. Um, And this is where, you know, good gut bacteria can actually strengthen immunity and they can strengthen that gut cell wall, um, which is really, really important because as a lot of athletes know, I'm I'm sure a lot of them have experienced leaky gut syndrome. Um, And this is when you have that increase in gut permeability. Um, and this really weakens your immune system and it causes all these symptoms that obviously, you know, the GI cramping, diarrhea, nausea, I mean, all those things that you really don't want. And sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, this really only happens to endurance athletes because of, you know, their prolonged training and competing, but really it's team sport athletes too. So basketball players, soccer players, all of this is really important to any type of athlete um, because you know, moderate intensity exercise is, um, will strengthen immunity, but high intensity exercise will actually weaken it. Um, and it leaves this huge open window, um, after you do high intensity training that will really increase your risk for infection. Um, and you know, this will also, le- also cause, you know, inflammation. Um, and so this is another thing that athletes don't think about. Um, you know, as an example, there was a study that was performed with runners um, who took a probiotic um, of certain strains, um, and they found that runners had reduced um, inflammatory markers after running in the heat. Um, and because of this, the runners were able to run longer in the heat without becoming fatigued. And, you know, this goes back to, okay, so how do we strengthen the immunity and prevent this inflammation that can happen? um, from all these stressors that athletes are exposed to. And, you know, one of the ways is through probiotics. Um, now probiotics will have a certain set of health benefits that they'll provide. Um, and you know, this can be, you know, obviously strengthening immunity, preventing or alleviating inflammation. And they're also critical in nutrient metabolism, Um, they can enhance digestion and and nutrient absorption. Um, you know, some strains can increase antioxidant activity. Um, so this is obviously really important because, you know, from exercise, there's a lot of, um, oxidative stress. And so certain probiotics can help, you know, with recovery from oxidative stress. Um, also probiotics, they can synthesize certain, uh, vitamins like vitamin B12, vitamin K, um, They can enhance, uh, I know today, you know, beetroot juice is becoming super popular in sports, um, especially via supplement, and um, because of the dietary nitrates um, that convert to nitric oxide in the body, and it's been shown that microbiota um, and probiotics, certain strains can enhance that conversion of dietary nitrate to nitric oxide. Um, you know, also they can enhance the absorption of certain nutrients like calcium, iron, vitamin D. Um, in fact, I always like to reference a particular study. Um, there was a, a, study that was done that assessed the vitamin D levels of, um, it was the Pittsburgh Steelers and they associated it with race and, uh, the athlete's history of broken bones and, and staying on the team. it was during the 2011, um, off and they found that vitamin D deficiency and insufficiency were quite prevalent among football players, especially the black players. Um, And those who had a a lower vitamin D level actually had a higher risk for getting cut. Um, And so the reason why I'm bringing this back to probiotics and how this helps the athlete is because probiotics can be an attractive intervention. So not only for strengthening immunity, Um, but also as a nutritional intervention, because, I mean, there's actually, there's been a study that shown there was a particular probiotic strain, um, that actually increased vitamin D levels by 25%, which is pretty, and that's a pretty good percentage. Um, so it's, you know, these things that really makes probiotics, um, an attractive dietary intervention to then also optimize nutritional intake. Um, you know, just going off, you know, other things that the gut microbiota can do, um, they can produce certain metabolites um, that will impact our health. Um, specifically, this is through, uh, there's something called short chain fatty acids, um, and these have an, a positive effect on our health. They can shape the gut environment, they can increase the acidity of the gut, um, and this relates back to immunity because, Um, When they increase the acidity of the gut, it actually outcompetes the bad bacteria. So it makes them harder for them to colonize. Um, Also, the short-chain fatty acids can help improve glucose levels. um, And they also can serve as energy sources for certain cells in the body, like the intestinal cells, um, as well as an energy source to gut microbiota. Um, And now we're seeing, in terms of brain health, how it's... Um, these you know metabolites from the gut microbiota are interacting with our brain um, so it's really cool this this whole interaction and how it's not just immunity it's not just um, reducing inflammation but it's also helping with our nutrient status the athlete's nutrient status um, and kind of going more into the gut brain axis, which is really cool research that's coming out um, i to me it's just fascinating because You know, you see in sports nutrition now um, moving a little bit towards brain health and specifically through, you know, polyphenols from the diet, um, which can help, you know, stimulate, you know, brain, brain cell growth um, and improve, you know, memory learning and thinking. But sometimes like how I like to think of it is I really think, you know, there's another way we can influence brain health. Um, And this is where I see you know, the cognitive part of sports nutrition really needs to consider, um, you know, the physiological stress that, you know, athletes get and, uh, from exercise and training hard and how it actually impacts our gut microbiota. And then that impact on the gut will then impact, you know, different things in our brain and how we think and how we behave. Um, because maybe some people don't know, but the gut microbiota can actually talk to our brain. Um, and they can influence different parts of our physiology um, and brain function and behavior. And there's different ways they can talk to the brain. I know this is going a little too in depth, and I actually have a really cool article coming out on this soon. Um, so I, I would recommend people uh, reading about reading it because I mean it's really just fascinating. Um, But they can talk to the brain through, you know, the vagus nerve that connects the brain stem to the digestive tract. They can talk to the brain through gut hormones and molecules, um, like I mentioned earlier, the short-chain fatty acids. They can um, talk via immune signaling, so um, different cytokines, which are pretty much just like um, protein communicators, if you want to call it. Um, and all of this is really, really important, um, especially since, you know, relating this back to brain health and the athlete, um, fatigue and, and mood, mood, which is obviously a critical performance factor, um, mood disturbances like, you know, anxiety, lack of motivation, depression, all these things are common among athletes. And what's really cool is that the microbiota can work by synthesizing and, you know, kind of modulating different neurotransmitters and hormones that can then influence an athlete's mood, motivation, and, you know, feelings of fatigue. Um, in fact, you know, there was a study, sorry, I like to bring in studies. No,
1: I love studies. So please don't, uh, don't hesitate by any means to, uh, to withhold the, the research.
0: Yeah. Because I know sometimes you're like, Oh, you know, you say something and then, you know, what do you have to back it up or whatever? Um, but, um, you know, a study found that a supplementation with uh, partic- two particular strains of probiotics, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, obviously, these probiotic strains have really long chains, yeah. um, but it, they reduced the psychological distress and they lowered cortisol levels in humans. Um, granted, also, another thing to really consider with this research is a lot of it's done in rats. Um, and when I talk about these things, I really only focus on, um, stuff done in humans, um, because obviously a rat is, is different from a human. Um, and you know, the effects could be similar or not. Um, but really going back to that study, you know, they, they kind of, the authors talked about, you know, potentially that the gut microbiota. Um, you know, they were able to kind of reduce the effects of these pro-inflammatory um, cytokines or, you know, cell communicators, whatever you want to call them, um, and oxidative stress, which really helped with reducing psychological distress. Um, and even another study found that a different probiotic treatment that had, um, you know, multiple strains um, significantly lowered negative thoughts that were, were linked with um, sad mood. Um, so even though the research is in its infancy, I really think that targeting the gut microbiome, you know, with this probiotic, you know, therapeutic approach really could help alleviate, um, or prevent some of this, you know, disrupted brain circuitry, if you want to call it, um, in addition to, you know, the dietary approach of, of sports nutritionists incorporating, you know, polyphenols in the diet, um, because ultimately the brain isn't just powered by food, um. And, you know, this is where I see, you know, especially, you know, with myself and other athletes that I work with in my philosophy when I work with athletes is where I try to focus on a gut enhancing diet. And, you know, now I kind of see it as kind of um, a type of nutritional psychiatry that could really help um, prevent the dysregulation that affects the brain. Um, And it's really by optimizing good gut microbiota. And preventing um, something called microbial dysbiosis, which is pretty much a, a shift um, towards, you know, more bad bacteria rather than good bacteria. Um, you know, that's the goal to try to prevent that. Um, so that's really a lot of uh, – I know that's a lot of information. Um, it's a lot
1: to chew on initially, but uh, it, it, incredible information, number one. Yeah. It, I think uh, – not to – to, to interject, but, you know, I, and, and the reason I love that you started off with the gut microbiome uh, is, you know, like it was maybe two or three years ago um, where I first got exposed to you biome And again, I, I would love for you to shed light and, and whether it's good or bad or whatever, but, and actually had um, my gut biome uh, assessed. And I think they've now probably in the last couple of years uh, advanced that. I think they have like the smart gut, and uh, I was doing a little bit of some DNA synth- uh, um, synthesis of it. But uh, the gut microbiome was completely, you know, like for me, was out of my sort of picture as far as the influence on inflammation and my immunity and uh, like you said, the the nutrient uh, metabolism was completely not even on my radar. And uh, since then has at least started to raise my sort of cognition of the various influencers of nutritionally, what can go in to actually positively and negatively affect the gut. And I would imagine that most collegiate athletes, um, A, probably uh, isn't necessarily as aware as they should be um, but B probably doesn't know the first steps as far as what they should do to actually get a better understanding of uh, of how to assess that.
0: Right, right. And it's funny you, you mentioned the u biome. Um, I actually looked into that recently. I mean, I've heard about it for a while. I haven't I haven't done it. Um, I believe Carl is doing it. Um, but I, I checked into it about a week ago, and I saw that they were doing a, a study with it, and so. Um, me being the cost effective person, I was like, Ooh, I want to jump in on this. Cause then I can get my, my, uh, I can send in my fecal samples for free and get analyzed. Um, yep. so I have looked into that and I'm hoping they contact me back cause I would love to do it. And that would be, in my opinion, a great way to track, um, you know, what your gut microbiome is. Um, and I think, you know, to me, that would be awesome. Um, so hopefully I I can, I can do something like that because I'm all about incorporating, you know, different types of technology, um, when working with athletes, um, to, you know, obviously optimize, um, anything that we're doing nutritionally. Um, but, you know, even going off of what you said about, you know, athletes not really realizing it and it's like, how do you prevent that? I mean, diet is a huge factor, um, And I can tell you right now, the the processed, highly refined carbohydrate um, that's going to have an impact on your your gut microbiota composition. Um, And of course, you know, not all athletes have the greatest diets. Um, But interestingly, jet lag is really cool, and I and and how it affects the gut. Um, And I have an article coming out on this as well. And you know, this is really important, especially in pro sports, we're seeing how travel demands have changed. I mean, you're seeing NBA teams one night going on the East coast and then going to the West coast and having to play the next day. And, And now we're seeing how sleep is so important and they're bringing in, you know, sleep scientists, which is totally cool. Um, but it's like, you know, what are the consequences of athletes doing this besides obviously, you know, their performance might drop a little, um, But, you know, and I feel like with I think there was a a study that just came out um, talking about, you know, nutritional interventions to improve sleep or sleep strategies, you know, that that athletes can use. Um, And they didn't mention probiotics. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, Sorry, I don't remember the the title of the study off the top of my head, Um, but it was literally just came out, I think, a few weeks ago. Um, But, you know, the research is showing that abnormal sleep activity cycles can actually lead to abnormal microbiota composition. And this goes back to um, microbial dysbiosis, which is what you don't want. Um, And when your circadian clock is disrupted, as with traveling um, and jet lag, so is your gut composition and function because the gut are like us they follow you know these changes in in daylight um just like us and they are actually controlled by our feeding schedules and sleep which is obviously influenced by our circadian clock um and when this is disrupted or misaligned you know it causes this microbial dysbiosis and you know this has other effects where it could lead to metabolic disruptions um you know, they, I think a study was looking at obesity and glucose intolerance over time. Um, But also it's not just jet lag. Um, It's also something, there's a new uh, term called social jet lag and it has a similar effect. Um, And to explain social jet lag, it's, it's essentially the difference between um, social and biological time. So if you want to see it this way, like you have your typical work week where you're waking up at a certain time every day, going to bed at a certain time every day. And then obviously on the weekend, that schedule is going to switch a little, you know, take for consideration athletes going out on a late Friday night. And, um, you know, the next morning they may not be able to sleep longer, sleep in and wake up, you know, um, you know, they kind of end up with sleep debt in a way because they're so used to their normal circadian wake up time. Um, and this is what's, you know, also called social jet lag. And this, this is really important because this is going to affect your gut microbiotic composition. Um, now going back to, you know, typical jet lag through traveling, um, you know, our microbiota can show a time shift change, and, and it only takes 24 hours, so it's not like it's a long time. Um, and this really, I, I I know there was a there was a study that looked at the effects of um, air travel. So uh, they looked at jet lag, sleep, and well being, and it was from Australia to Brazil in a professional soccer team, and it was right before the 2014 FIFA World Cup. And essentially without going too much into detail you know obviously they found a lower um, overall wellness that was observed um, you know after travel compared to the week before travel sleep duration was obviously quite reduced during travel um, and it really it took a while for the players to then you know get back to being I guess in in a, a prepared state because essentially it showed that you know, once they, you know, arrived in Brazil, um, you know, they had lower player preparedness. Um, And it's like, you know, one of the things to consider is, okay, with this, what also happened to their gut microbiota? Um, Essentially, since, you know, we know that the, you know, a time shift change like that only can take 24 hours to then shift the gut microbiota composition. Um, And this is where, once again, microbial dysbiosis um, comes into play. And, you know, it's it's so important to keep the gut in line um, because they are involved in our circadian control. Um, and so to me, this is where obviously once again, as a nutritional intervention, probiotics can come into place. Um, because as we see disruptions in the circadian clock during jet lag and even social jet lag, um, this is obviously going to cause irregular pattern of food intake, and it's going to change your sleeping. um, And it's really going to affect the gut. Um, And so how I see it is that, you know, maintaining the gut then allows us to, and our gut microbiota to work together. Um, And then, you know, they can synchronize their physiological activities together. um, And this really will help maintain gut health. Um, Because as we've seen, chronic time shifting hurts our gut. Um, and, and, you know, this is kind of going back to the the latest study that I talked about that, you know, discussed different nutritional interventions, um, that, you know, athletes can use in terms of sleep. And I am really starting to think that probiotics really could have come into, into play. So,
1: yeah, I think, uh. You know, Just to bridge on top of that, when, when athletes and people start to think about sleep strategies, probiotics very rarely comes up in the conversation. And it seems like from what you're sharing, and, uh, and you're not the only one. I mean, I know I had uh, Dr. John Sullivan from The Brain Always Wins on the show, and he talked a lot about fueling um, for brain health. And uh, it seems, so, while he didn't mention necessarily uh, the gut, uh, as far as that, but, uh, certainly about the influence of what we eat and how it influences our physiology and how that can influence sleep quality and sleep recovery. Um, and we had Dr. Nick Little, uh, Little Hills on as well from the R90, um, to come on and talk about sleep. But I, I think that's a fascinating sort of interplay between sleep and how we're actually fueling and what we're actually eating to help in fact, uh, positively affect the, uh, the, the gut. So, which kind of lends me to probably my next sort of, pa- uh, next sort of process or pathway here. Um, when we start to look at probiotics, whether it is for athletic power or for performance or, or even recovery or sleep? I mean, where where should athletes be looking? What is the initial things that the takeaways when we start thinking about things that they can do to help positively affect their gut microbiome? What can they do?
0: So that's a great question. And it, you know, it comes down to, okay, food versus supplements, which I know is a big topic. And don't get me wrong. I am a food first, um, approach type of person. I think food can be medicine. Um, but then you have to go back to, you know, sometimes you have to consider, okay, you know, you want a particular benefit. So it comes down to efficacy. Um, and as you know, it's like the same thing with supplements. Like you can take a particular supplement, but is it going to be efficacious? And so, you know, if based on whatever, you know, performance you're, variable you're looking at. And so how I see probiotics is that it's really hard to get the effective amount of what you need from just food alone, Um, especially if you want to take advantage of certain health benefits. So just as an example, you know, there's a certain probiotic strain that can help those who are lactose intolerant because that strain has the lactase enzyme that can help break down lactose. Um, So obviously you would want to have the right amount or dosage of the probiotic if you were looking for that benefit, right? And so sometimes many foods don't tell you the amount of probiotics that they have in their product and um, the the units for, for probiotics is something called colony forming units or CFUs. And so sometimes products don't even tell you that, or they don't tell you the strains that they use, um, or, you know, or, um, yeah, they don't, they don't tell you some of those things. And so it's like, you know, I think a lot of the times food companies want to bank off of this, oh, you know, put the probiotic stamp on their product label because everybody's like, oh, probiotics, it's good for you, whatever. But you need to step back and think about, okay, this product might have it. But do they have the right amount where it's going to help our health? Um, And, you know, sometimes, you know, probiotics in a cup of yogurt is not going to meet the needs of uh, for an athlete. And it's like, you know, if you, you know, I think some yogurts, it's like one billion CFUs of probiotics. Right. So it's, you know, let's say, I mean, I typically tell athletes 25 billion CFUs, even though you can go around like 15 billion. Um, So you have to step back and think you know, how many cups of this yogurt do I have to eat? <laughs> Am I gonna eat 15 yogurts to get the, the right amount of probiotics? I mean, if you look at holistically of a nutritional plan, that doesn't make sense, right? In ter- Especially in terms of weight management. Um, yeah. <laughs> really fascinatingly, there was a study that just came out, um, it came out of Toronto, I, I can't remember what lab, um, but they looked at uh, probiotic um, products in the grocery stores, And they looked at, you know, different studies of these probiotic strains and they, they pretty much compared that, you know, the probiotics in, in the grocery store in certain like yogurts and, and all these things, they really didn't have the right amount of a particular probiotic strain to really give that health benefit as to what was seen in a study. So for example, if a study found that a a particular probiotic strain um, you know, provided some, be- some such and such benefit, um, but they used like let's say 10 billion CFUs in that study. Well, in, in the grocery store, in a product, you know, that's using the same probiotic strain, it's like one billion CFUs. So it, there was a big discrepancy on what a study showed um, in terms of you know how much of the probiotic was needed compared to what was actually in a food product. So it kind of goes back to, okay, and, and this is where, you know, I do with my athletes and myself, we supplement with probiotics. Um, obviously, there's so many factors to look at. And, you know, um, as a perfect example, athletes really don't know what to get. Um, and I don't blame them. They, they don't know. And um, I, I think of the aisle at Whole Foods and how overwhelming it is with yeah. all the probiotics. I mean, Adam, I'm sure you've looked and you're like, you know what, I'm probably just... I don't even know where to start.
1: (laughs) So like paralysis by analysis almost.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's tough for the consumer, especially the athlete. It's like, okay, what the heck do I buy? Um, and probiotic supplements differ in so many ways. And that all goes back to efficacy. Um, you know, obviously amount of probiotics and, um, the types of species and the strains, because not all of them have the same effect. Um, it's like, you know, I think of it like humans, we're all the same species, but we're all different. Um, and so, you know, bacteria in the same species, they can share common characteristics. So offer, you know, core health benefits as an example, strength and immunity. Um, but they, their functions can vary by strain. And just as an example, like some can synthesize vitamin B12, some can, um, enhance vitamin D absorption, but it's not all of them. So it really depends on what you're looking for. Um, so you really have to find one that's right for your, your needs, um and also there's this, you know, you have to take into consideration additional ingredients in the product. So I like to um, make sure that the product has prebiotics with probiotics. So prebiotic, like it's it's essentially fiber. Um and the prebiotics, they feed the probiotics. So when you combine them together it's like this, it's called a symbiotic. Um, and the prebiotics work better with the probiotics. So as an example, um, in the probiotic that I use, I'm just going to go ahead and, and give a shout out to sound probiotics. Um, they're awesome. Uh, Mark Stefani, he, um, is a, a doctor and a former competitive cyclist and sound probiotics is a sponsor of, uh, like five different team USA's team. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, Philadelphia Eagles and, and it's NSF certified. Um, but in that probiotic supplement, there's a prebiotic and they specifically use um, uh, beta glucan. And that's been shown in a study to actually enhance the health benefits in conjunction with uh, probiotics. So, you know, it's just another thing to consider, you know, all these different factors um, when you're, you're, you're trying to choose a probiotic supplement. And you know, this is also going back to, you know, taking probiotics has to be easy, which, you know, taking, you know, a, a probiotic supplement pill is not very difficult, but it has to be habitual. You know, probiotics are are living organisms and they die off and, it, you know, athletes have to take it every day if they want to see you know, the benefits, like it's not just a once in a, you know, once a week type of thing. Um, so it really comes down to, you know, being consistent in taking it. Um, so that's really important. But, you know, so just in a nutshell, you know, if an athlete's interested in taking a probiotic, um, they really need to make sure they're getting the right amount. Um, and, and the supplement should really say on it, like how much I would shoot for between 15 billion CFU and 25 billion CFU per day Um, and you know if there's particular things you know like I said the lactose intolerance you know if there's an athlete who's looking for something like that then look for a supplement that has um, the strain that has you know that's shown to help with lactose intolerance and you can do a an athlete can do a a simple google search of that Um, making sure the prebiotic is with the probiotic um, and taking it every day and, and really just it, it's a huge, huge impact um, on your health. And it, it's it's simple. And to me, this is like the next level of fueling. Um, I see it as, you know, a gut enhancing diet, um, because obviously, you know, food and, and supplements, they impact our gut microbial composition and function. And this is just a small piece of it that has a huge, huge impact. So...
1: Yeah, no, and and no doubt, and I'll uh, I'll make sure that Sound Biotics or Sound sound Probiotics uh, gets a uh, a little bit of a a write up here at the show notes, so that if uh, if athletes or coaches are looking certainly for resources, that they'll be directed in the right position. And you mentioned in that, and not to necessarily segue away from uh, the gut, but you started to talk about how the. probiotics can be sort of the next level of fueling. And as maybe maybe a, a, a prelude to that, if we were to look at sort of what might be potentially what is perceived as the current level of fueling and whether that's hydration or sports drinks or things like that, I think might be a nice little segue into talking about just some of the general ideas and and your knowledge about what hydration and just some of the behaviors that might surround what athletes are choosing from a hydration standpoint and start looking into sports drinks as a fueling sort of strategy.
0: Yeah. So, um, hydration sports drinks, this to me, I've done a lot of work with this. Um, especially since I've, I've worked with a few companies who are trying to, um, break into the sports drink industry. And I have some other companies that reached out to me, um, regarding this. And, you know, you know, obviously people know the importance of hydration. I don't need to, you know, explain it. It's pretty obvious and and I don't get me wrong. Education is instrumental in preventing dehydration and, you know, obviously educating athletes on hydration and, you know, why you need to do it and drink and everything. But what I've really noticed is that despite this knowledge in reality, knowledge does not equal behavior. It really doesn't. Um, even the most well-educated athlete who has fluid available can become dehydrated because a lot of times athletes underestimate their sweat loss um, or voluntarily they don't consume enough fluid. Um, And so to me, you know, a lot of times athletes, they typically don't rehydrate enough during exercise, and this is a lot of the times due to personal choice. Um, And so this kind of goes back to, you know, the sports drink concept. And sometimes people think that, oh, getting an athlete to drink, you know, it helps if it's a sports drink because of the taste. Um, and you know, I, I, I have my own, uh, opinions on sports drinks. I think it comes to context. And I think a lot of the times people don't, especially athletes and coaches and athletic trainers, they really don't consider the context of a sports drink because yeah, I mean, Adam, I don't know how many of your athletes are drinking Gatorade or Powerade
1: or... <laughs> well, I mean, I think uh, certainly within each sort of demographic and the with respect to athletic departments and fundings and sponsorships that, you know, a lot of the times the decisions are made not necessarily always in the best interest of what's nutritionally relevant and important for the student athlete, but they're made more from a financial standpoint, which is, you know, advertising and marketing and and the combination of that. Right.
0: right. And so that's why, you know, I, and I understand that completely, but, um, you know, do athletes really need a sports drink? And I think when, you know, you have this, this marketing aspect and it obviously makes then the drink accessible and available to the athlete, they drink it even if they don't need it. Um, and, you know, just, touching upon, okay, what's the purpose of a sports drink? And it's obviously for hydration, you know, getting an energy boost from carbohydrate and replacing electrolytes, specifically sodium, um, lost through sweat. Um, But really, context is key when it comes to sports drinks. Um, And like you hit it on the head, I know it's, uh, a lot of times this context is not addressed um, due to marketing and, you know, some financial reasons. Um, But because of that, I really think that sports drinks, they're marketed to 99% of the population when really maybe like half a percent to 1% actually could use it. And it's just, because it's sugar water. It, It really is sugar water and there's a certain time and place when you need it, which is perfectly fine. But it's really, to me, and this is gonna go, you know, relate to something later on that I'm gonna talk about, which is athletes who are fit but unhealthy. Um, it really leads to this, you know, excessive carbohydrate intake that's really unnecessary. And so this is why, you know, in my work, I've transitioned towards working with companies and kind of helping them. I guess you could say as like a nutrition attorney, um, and these functional beverages who are trying to get into um, the sports drink market. And I really think it's, we're now getting a new generation of sports drinks because I think also at the same time, we're seeing athletes who want to be healthier and they want to go, you know, less artificial colorings and, 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 and um, they want to go with more natural ingredients and, and functional beverages, um, essentially they're going to offer more benefits. So they're going to be a more helpful alternative. And, um, you know, this is, a way to move away from just the sugar water. And so how I like to see it when I'm looking at a sports drink, I like to consider the nutrient density. Um, so I, I explain it as, you know, getting more nutritional bang for your buck. Um, so getting a lot of nutrients in that product, you know, for maybe a lower amount of calories. Um, and the thing is with, with these functional beverages and, I'm just going to throw out an example. I know there's a lot of watermelon beverage companies who would love to get into performance hydration and and sports performance. um, And they're competing with Gatorade. Um, And, and a lot of the times these companies also need to consider that their beverage needs to have a formula that balances palatability and function. Um, Obviously, you know, the drink needs to be something that's palatable that athletes want to drink because that's going to stimulate them to then hydrate. Um, and it also has to have function. Um, it needs to hydrate, needs to show that it hydrates, um, you know, provide carbohydrate if, you know, it's warranted. Um, and one of the biggest things is that, um, Really, I see functional beverages as helping with long term health and longevity in the athlete Um, because, like I mentioned earlier, about athletes who are fit and unhealthy, and you know, it's really due to this excessive carbohydrate intake, um, but it's really messing with their blood glucose levels. Um, And a lot of these athletes are seeing, you know, pre diabetic levels of blood glucose, which I'll talk about later on um and this is you know a little part of it where sports drinks and consuming so much of it is really maybe contributing to it um and so you know i kind of consider this there was a um a study that came out i think out of uh cornell and they looked at um how people privilege certain nutrients when uh, you know identifying their risk for certain diseases And this is a perfect comparison to a typical sports drink right now um, because what they talked about in the study is that people have a nutrient centrism approach. So um, what it is is that they believe that certain nutrients, so for example, let's take potassium, are critical to preventing disease. Instead of taking a a whole food centrism approach, which is that whole food, so um, in comparison a banana, Um, that contains these nutrients in their natural context are more beneficial. Um, And so just as an example, the study talked about, uh, um, and you'll see this with cereal boxes, how food companies advertise vitamin and mineral content of their products um, based on certain scientific evidence that, you know, micronutrients in their product are associated with, you know, certain positive health outcomes. So just as an example, they talked about how Kellogg's Cocoa Krispies has 25% daily value of antioxidants and nutrients, and then next to that claim they put to support your child's immunity. But if you look at Kellogg's Cocoa Krispies, it's obviously a nutrient-poor product overall. So I consider this, I compare it, I took the study and I thought about it in the context of sports drinks. How sports drinks companies um, advertise, you know, electrolytes and carbohydrate in their products, you know, and they use scientific evidence, how, you know, these are, you know, important for obviously like carbohydrate can be seen as an ergogenic aid um, and, you know, positive performance outcomes. So hydration and electrolytes for, you know, preventing muscle cramping. But really it's sugar water and lots of sugar that really is a lot of the time unnecessary Um, And so what they kind of do is what they do with, um, you know, like cereal, cereal brands, it distills the performance aspect of that drink down to, you know, selected set of, you know, performance enhancing nutrients when in actuality, if you look at the product on average, it's a really nutrient poor product. Um, and so it's like the same thing with the cereal, you know, promoting a nutritionally poor product, um, as something that's healthy, or in this case, that's going to help performance. Um, and so that's how I kind of see it. And that's why I follow the whole food centrism approach. And I relate this back to functional beverages because I really believe that, you know, taking, you know, I'm just going to take as an example off the top of my head, watermelon water, um, or watermelon juice you know, that's a whole food, you know, it's just the watermelon and it's been shown to help hydrate, um, athletes and there's other nutrients in it, you know, that can help with athletes. So there's vitamin C, there's, um, there's something called L-citrulline, which, um, so that's like a whole other topic, but, you know, there's some evidence that, you know, can help with muscle recovery. Um, there's more lycopene in this beverage than a tomato, Um, So there's all these different, you know, nutrients in it that really makes it and it still hydrates and it still provides some carbohydrate. Um, So it still has the, you know, the purpose of what a sports drink is supposed to be. And so I look at, you know, Gatorade and, you know, watermelon or, you know, if there was another alternative in terms of like some type of fruit drink, um, I look at both of them objectively and I see, okay, is this going to? you know, based on what we're looking for, hydration, some carbohydrate, um, electrolytes, which I'll get into a little bit, um, you know, is this gonna meet the needs of an athlete, but be a better, more nutrient dense product and really, you know, contribute to their health and essentially, you know, fit into a healthy nutrition plan. Um, and so that's kind of where I go with sports drinks. And I don't think Gatorade is gonna call me after this, but <laughs> I don't think they're gonna wanna sponsor me after said that, but, um, they're not,
1: they're, they're also probably won't sponsor, uh, sponsor the show either, which is fine, which is fine. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll reach out to uh, watermelon water and see what, uh, what their advertising budget looks like as well. <laughs>
0: right. Um, but you know, going back to these functional beverages and I know, you know, for instance, coconut water is really promoted. Um, and a lot of these companies will say, you know, we have electrolytes in it and don't get me wrong, watermelon water and, and coconut water, they have a ton of potassium, which is fine. And, but a lot of the times you'll see that people will argue against those drinks in favor of Gatorade and they'll say, well, there's no sodium in those products. And you're right. There isn't. And obviously it's important to for the athlete to take in sodium uh, while they're exercising. Um, but how I see it, once again, from a more uh, objective uh, perspective, is that they're really then not looking holistically at an athlete's nutrition plan. Um, If you're really so concerned about a sports drink that really can be a more healthful alternative and and your main problem or setback as to why you won't choose it over a Gatorade is because of the sodium level, (laughs) it's not looking – and I'm telling you, there's been so many – I've seen it with sports nutritionists out there and I'm just like, well, okay. So if you look at an athlete's nutrition plan, are they eating before practice or competition? Are they eating during a race? Um, who's really sodium depleted. I mean, this yeah. states there's sodium everywhere. <laughs> it's
1: like, uh, looking at a, uh, a supplement line or something else and being like, wow, you know, this, this supplement just doesn't have enough processed carbohydrates in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess that there's probably enough of that in their, uh, otherwise nutritional diet. Right,
0: Right. And so that's how I think of it. I'm like, okay, I'll still go with this product because there's so many other ways. You're right. As a sports drink, yes, it's a setback. There's no sodium in it. But let me tell you something. It doesn't take a lot of, you know, brain power to figure out, okay, if the athlete wants to use this, um, how can we get some sodium in their diet? Or, I mean, you know, do they really need any extra sodium? Like how I think of it is like, you know, when I'm riding 100 miles, uh, which I I do quite a bit, I do a lot of century rides, and obviously sodium is important, but, you know, (laughs) Could take apple slices and put some salt on it and also drink you know my healthier sports drink and I'm still getting my sodium because most of the time athletes are eating while they're racing or they've eaten before practice and it's not like you really need to add more sodium um so like once again it comes down to context I mean obviously if you're in an Ironman it's a little bit of a different story but still there's different ways you can still get salt I mean I know there's a company called that base electrolyte or Base sodium or something like that. And, you know, they have a little vial and I've even used it on long rides and I just take it out, put my finger, get some salt in it and put it on my tongue. And look, I just got sodium. So it really goes back to with these sports drinks, um, you know, looking at I try to find more healthful alternatives that, you know, obviously also fit into an athlete's uh, nutritional plan. And, you know, if you want to argue on sodium, which I know a lot of, uh, you know, sports nutritionists out there have because they're promoting, you know, some of these other bigger names, um, you know, you just have to think holistically at the athlete's diet, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, two things in that that really, really resonate with me to maybe summarize a little bit of that is that there's nothing more frustrating when we run uh, or an athlete runs through essentially a tactical, technical, physical, psychological profile for us. And we recognize that there's a physical rate limiting factor and whatever we might want to call it. But in this example, let's just say body composition yet an athlete may or may not necessarily have the education or the, uh, compliance, to make the nutritional intervention that they need to. And yet they're walking around carrying, uh, you know, their hydration strategy that's filled with 60 grams of dextrose in it. And they are, you know, over consuming what is otherwise um, their carbohydrate intake, negatively affecting what their, their body composition goals are for the sake of a rehydration strategy that might be incomplete, number one. Um, And then secondly, the thing that I think you said that really sort of resonates is, again, I think the the overemphasis of a particular mineral or nutrient at the expense of what is maybe looking, you know, a little bit more of a 30,000 foot view at what the macro nutrient combination uh, of that sort of supplement or beverage strategy is. And, you know, I know you've, to paraphrase that as far as potassium, but it's very easy for an athlete to, to walk through a grocery aisle and look at something and say, oh yeah, you know, that the added potassium or it has X, Y, or Z in it, that's, that's healthy and completely negate or not look at sort of what, uh, what the actual calorie balance of something is or what is otherwise added to it in addition to that mineral or that vitamin that they might be under the influence of being a healthy component. And maybe in isolation it is, yet it comes with the unintended co- uh, consequence or cost of, you know, inadequately or, or overconsumption of a particular um, uh, factor. So that's kind of where I was thinking and what really resonated with me, but to maybe also, cause I know you, you were talking about sodium, which I think when, when sort of in my aspects, when you start thinking about sodium, uh, you start thinking about, okay, well maybe the increase of sodium from a muscular, you know, cramping standpoint. I think that would be a great little segue of starting to talk about uh, dehydration and maybe some electrolyte imbalance and what might be some strategies in sort of exercise uh, associated muscle cramp prevention. Um, or at least a reduction and maybe some of the nutritional research that you have uh, in that subject
0: yeah no this is this is a great topic um, I'm actually very very passionate about this one because I'm someone who's has suffered from muscle cramps for the longest time um, especially when I used to compete in tennis um, you know in the in Florida heat and humidity and I would drink Gatorade, you know, right and left. And this was before I knew anything about nutrition um, and nothing would prevent my cramps. Um, I mean, it was so bad. I, I remember I would had like three and a half hour matches in the end. A lot of times I would lose because I cramped in the calves. Um, and so I, I'm kind of going to step away from the conventional wisdom here. Um, as I really think a lot of the evidence as, you know, it being dehydration and electrolyte imbalance specifically to sodium um, has really and has really been marketed by the sports drink industry. Um, and to me, um, you know, this is kind of frustrating because, you know, exercise-associated muscle cramps, we don't know what causes it specifically. Um, it's probably going to be multifactorial, so different things are con- going to contribute to it. Um, and there's been nothing to show that it's specifically dehydration and electrolyte imbalance that's causing this muscle cramp. Um, and to me, this, this is really, really frustrating because it really, how I see it is that, you know, sometimes athletes will blame hydration and electrolytes because it's a convenient thing. And, you know, that's why they got the muscle cramp, but really I'd say that they should be blaming more of their poor conditioning and and race tactics. Um, and this goes to neuromuscular performance, which I'll talk about. Um, but essentially, you know, the science is really unclear on exercise, um, associated muscle cramps, and it really could be multifactorial. And and the reason behind the, um, you know, sodium imbalance or the electrolyte imbalance, specifically sodium, um, is because lower sodium stores, um, can cause pretty much a fluid shift in the body, um, around muscles. And this would then lead to a misfiring of nerve impulses and then subsequently a cramp. Um, but there's been studies that have shown no difference in the hydration status or electrolyte levels between those who are cramp prone and, and those who are non-cramp prone. And, um, even athletes who have experienced, um, this muscle cramp when they're, they've experienced it while they've been completely hydrated and have, um, adequately, um, supplemented with electrolytes. Um, and so, you know, this leads to then, you know, okay, so, you know, what other possibility could it be? And, I really think it's more so of a neuromuscular, um, etiology and I really think there's, there's a lot of evidence that shows that, you know, it's a neuromuscular etiology. Um, so really it's coming, you know, that pain, that stiffness, that bulging muscle, which I know I truly like cry over when I get one. I'm seeing athletes that are just like dying in pain. Um, but it really comes from neuromuscular fatigue and, and this is coming from an overloading of the muscle. Um, and you know, I, I like to explain this to people by starting off by saying, you know, consider this, like what's the first thing an athlete does when they get a cramp? I mean, Adam, I'm I'm sure you've seen it.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you know, especially we have a a track meet going on and I'm going to guess that. Uh, it's a Missouri Valley conference championship, So there's going to be, you know, 10 teams here. And so I think the common thing is most athletes will, uh, depending on where the cramp is at, they're going to reach for it. They're going to grab it. They're going to, mm-hmm. you know, fall over. There's a whole cascade of, uh, of events with a muscular cramp. Right,
0: right, And so obviously, you know, they follow the ground, um, but then they stretch the muscle. Um, And usually this static stretching will relieve the cramp. Um, And it's been known that stretching is, you know, an immediate treatment for this muscle cramp. Um, So to me, I see it as, okay, so how is this stretching affecting your electrolyte imbalance and hydration? And, you know, it kind of makes the theory questionable. Um, And so it really goes back to this electrical misfiring. Um, And specifically, you know, there's not going too much into the science, but um, it's it's an imbalance between excitatory impulses from muscle spindles um, in the muscle and the inhibitory um, response from something called Golgi tendon organs um, in the muscle. And so this imbalance and in, in the difference in firings will result in a muscle cramp. And so what the stretching does it's that it puts the the muscle under tension. And this activates the Golgi tendon organs more, and this uh, results in, you know, the the muscle becomes more relaxed, and the cramping stops. Um, And so, you know, relating this to neuromuscular performance, and, and I'm not saying that fluid and electrolyte balance isn't important, I mean, clearly it's important with cardiovascular function you know, uh, muscle functioning and, and thermoregulatory functioning. But, you know, it's just kind of looking at this at, from a different perspective, where obviously, maybe this is a, you know, muscle cramping is has a multifactorial etiology. Um, but really, it's, it's looking at muscle fatigue. Um, and this is a new area of sports nutrition, um, called neuromuscular performance. And, and the, you know, it's essentially neuromuscular performance is when you have nerves and muscles that are, are working together cooperatively. Um, and this comes through neuromuscular training. Um, this is really important because, you know, it goes back to, there were, there was a study that, you know, kind of looked at this and said that, you know, athletes who, um, it was, I believe, it was at an Ironman World Championship. Um, athletes who cramped, they noticed that their pacing strategy was different in the beginning of the Ironman, and it kind of was like they had over, um, over, you know, estimated their fitness levels, and they went faster because they were so interested in, you know, getting a, a PR or whatever um, that they really. Overloaded their muscles uh, prematurely and ultimately it resulted in a muscle cramp. And this relates to neuromuscular training because it's the idea that when you go and you train, you need to train as if you're in racing conditions and putting your muscles on that, you know, having that overload. Um, and that will help condition the muscles. So how I see it as a cyclist who does hundred miles, you know, if I'm gonna go do a hundred mile race, in my training, I need multiple instances of when I'm doing, practicing hundred miles, I need to go at the same pace that I'm gonna go in the actual race. So as an example, I'm not going to be drafting off of someone in training, which will actually, you know, make me more efficient. And I'm not going to be leisurely, you know, taking coffee breaks or whatever. I'm going to go in actual race mode and this will actually, um, condition your muscles. Um, so it's really, it's the athletes need to maybe if they're more cramp prone, take a, um, you know, in their training, go at a higher intensity, like they would in a race as an example. Um, but also this leads to, um, nutritionally, um, there's a particular blend of spices and, you know, it targets a set of receptors, um, sensory nerves that can be found in the mouth and in the esophagus and the stomach. And they're, they're called transient receptor potential ion channels or, or trip TRP. Um, and it's really cool because the trip receptors Um, like I said, in your mouth, for instance, they connect to your brain and they can communicate to different parts of your nervous system. And that includes the nerves in your spinal cord, which obviously then talk to your skeletal muscle. Um, And these TRIP receptors, they can be activated by a certain blend of of strong spices. Um, And research has actually shown that activating these TRIP receptors will then send nerve signals to the spinal cord that then tell the spinal nerves to send, like, if you want to call it calming impulses to the skeletal muscle. And so this, you know, stabilizes the overfiring of the nerves and and stops the cramp. Um, and specifically, I mean, um, I've used something called hot shot. Okay. Yeah. Adam. Um, but that's essentially what the research that they're doing. Um, and this is what the, the blend of spices does. and, And I use it. Um, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's worked for me because I've now been able to figure out, cause the first thing that's going to happen is that you're going to feel that muscular fatigue. Um, and so I know my body well enough where I can feel it in certain parts like cramp, uh, in my calves, for instance, and I'll go ahead and I'll take this. Um, and so, uh, and I'm telling you it's worked. It's, it's stopped. It's prevents muscle cramps and it's also stopped a muscle cramp, um, in action for me. Um. I know it's worked for a lot of other athletes um and you know what it's just so funny because i've cramped in a hundred mile. like i compare for example um when i rode out in california 100 miles um you know the muscles comparing it to neuromuscular performance i cramped near at mile 80 out in california and the funny part is is that it was like 60 degrees As someone who knows sports nutrition, I was clearly, I was hydrated. I was drinking. I have a sodium protocol that I follow to a T and I know that it works. Um, So why was it that I was still cramping um, when I followed my hydration and sodium to a T? And I really believe it's because, okay, let's think about it. There was a difference in terrain out in California compared to super flat South Florida And so I was overloading my muscles much more differently than I would if I did 100 miles in in South Florida because the racing conditions were different. And that goes back to neuromuscular performance. Um, And so yeah, I took the hot shot at mile 80 and it stopped it. Um, So that to me in terms of um, exercise associated muscle cramps, it's really, I, I think it's athletes should focus more, obviously hydration and sodium is important. But in terms um, of muscle cramping, I really think that they should focus on neuromuscular training, um, especially replicating, you know, a race pace during your training um, and and really getting the muscles conditioned. I think then those who cramp and they can't figure out their hydration and and sodium situation, I think that they should try this alternative and, and see what happens.
1: And that's going to be a wrap for part one with nutritional coach, Katie Mark. I have to imagine that you took a lot away from the conversation between Katie and I. She is incredibly knowledgeable and I so much appreciated the information about the gut microbiome, the importance of it, the function of it, how stressors affect it. I love this segment on hydration and sport drinks because I definitely see that Uh, as a prevalent problem in the collegiate athletics world. And then just the discussion about exercise-associated muscle cramps and some of the products out there that exist to help prevent or reduce the likelihood of muscular cramps from occurring. Part two is also going to be a monster, and that will air really, really soon. But Katie gets into discussing athletes that might be fit, but biochemically, under the surface might be unhealthy. We start talking about periodized nutritional plans and just about high protein diets and some of the lessons that she learned uh, in Rio 2016. Part two is a monster. If you've had enough of part one and your brain is about to explode, take some time, digest the information, and then go ahead and return back to part two, which will be airing here in a really, really short time. But like always, I appreciate Katie Mark for coming on the Decoding Excellence show. Keep your eyes peeled for part two. And until next time, thank you.